How did this guy? Uh, if folks listen carefully, and that means you can't do it with the newspapers, you have to actually listen to what I say, to the arguments I make on public policy issues, they will find that in every case I reach my conclusions based on the civic principles that are the common ground of American self-government. Lose to this guy. I think making sure that we don't engage in the sort of gay bashing that I think uh, has unfortunately dominated this campaign. Not only is Alan Keyes one of the most effective and intelligent rhetoricians in our political class to this day, but he absolutely tore Obama apart in this debate. So how did Alan Keyes lose to Michelle's husband? We'll talk about that and more today on Indie Thinker. Welcome to the show. Don't forget to like, share, and subscribe. Did you know that Indie Thinker is right now in the process of filming a full feature documentary about the fatherlessness epidemic that we are experiencing in America right now? The breakdown of the nuclear family is statistically higher now than it has ever been. And I wanted to do something about that. So we are creating a film that will expose what is causing fatherlessness in America. Here's just a small snippet of the trailer. Long gone are the days of Andy Griffith, the ideal representation of a father on TV. Your mother and I send you to college to get an education, not to party hardy. And now the fathers on TV look way more like Homer Simpson than they ever do Andy Griffith. Now, what were we talking about, boy? So how did we get here? It's the rejection of the wisdom of the past. Now, I know what you're thinking. Who is that guy so articulate, so profound, sitting with Dennis Prager? Well, of course, that was me. And after Dennis begged me to be in the film, I finally relented and said, fine, you can be in the film. Now, all jokes aside, there is a bunch of people like Dennis, high-profile thought leaders in our country that you need to hear from on this subject. So in order to see the full trailer and even to help financially support this film so that we can finish it, you need to subscribe to our newsletter. You can do that by going to the link on the screen or you can go to the description of this podcast where you can access not only Indie Thinker Extras but the newsletter that will help you see the full feature trailer to our documentary Fatherless and give you an opportunity to help support the great work that we're doing here at Indie Thinker. Today, we're going to cover the strange disappearance of Alan Keyes. Alan was a doctoral graduate of Harvard and he had a wide-ranging diplomatic career. Keyes was appointed ambassador to the Economic and Social Council of the United Nations by President Ronald Reagan, and later as President Reagan's Assistant Secretary of State for Internal Organization Affairs. In 2004, Allen was running against a relatively unknown Barack Obama for Senate in Illinois, who, yes, had some local political experience, but little experience compared to Keyes. I'm sure we all know by now how everything worked out. Obama won that race and after one term went on to be the darling of the Democratic Party and win the race for president in 2008. It's almost as if defeating one of the greatest representatives of conservative values and thought at the time catapulted Obama to success because that's exactly what happened. But it also seems strangely that we consistently in society do not promote those people with real ability um, and real talent, rather we prefer personality instead. Looking at you, Kim K. Hmm. I went number two in that bathroom and it won't flush. 
But as we look at a debate between these two men, I hope to show you a couple things. One, that Keyes represents what an effective Christian conservative argument looks like so that you can echo his mental and rhetorical prowess whenever you're having conversations about the issues we'll be discussing today, which, by the way, which will be abortion, which will be separation of church and state, and gay marriage. So obviously things that are still very relevant to this day. But more importantly, I also hope to show you why the effective arguments of Keyes didn't make the impact that they should have. We'll look at that and then try to answer the question, what can we do about it so that we don't make the same mistake? So let's jump into it. Should the display of the Ten Commandments be allowed in government buildings, yes or no? I think it depends. I think it depends on whether or not uh, it's a historical building, uh, in which case there's not a clear message of religion uh, sent, uh, or if it's one of these new, build, uh, uh, new uh, large signs that are being erected uh, in front of the courts, like what happened in Alabama, which Mr. Keyes supports. All right, Mr. Keyes, quick uh, answer. Of course, because the federal government, through the judges or anybody else, has absolutely no constitutional authority whatsoever to interfere with the states in this matter, and it's provable on the basis of the clear, plain, non-interpreted language of the Constitution. The idea that it requires separation of church and state right. that can be imposed on the states so, is simply a lie. Th th this is something that I do have to address, because Mr. Keyes repeats this all the time. You know, he suggests that the separation of church and state is somehow an argument that he's having with liberal judges out here. He's not having an argument with liberal judges. He's having an argument with Thomas Jefferson and James Madison. Uh, Thomas Jefferson coined the term of wall of separation. Now what he'll fall back on is suggesting that uh, that even if there was a wall of separation it would only apply to the federal government but the fact of the matter is we've incorporated the Bill of Rights into uh, to apply to the states through the 14th Amendment. That's the reason that the states can't uh, ban this program any more than the federal government can. <laughs> All right. All right. No, 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 you're no, not, no. You're not yes, going yes, to I am. leave that on yes, the table. Yes, I am. First of Mr. all, Keys, I have quick been, hit. I, Mr. Keys, I'll do it quickly. Mr. I'll do it quickly, right. but it's not fair that he should imply something entirely untrue. Congress shall make no law respecting an establishment of religion applies to the federal government. The Tenth Amendment says all those powers not delegated to the United States or prohibited by it to the states are reserved to the states respectively and to the people. By the Articles of, of, of the Bill of Rights, therefore, it is one of the privileges and immunities of citizens of the United States to be free from federal interference on this issue of religious establishment. That's plain okay, from that's the enough. text of the document. Yes. Now, I know what you're thinking already. Reed is going to side with Keyes throughout every single time. He's a Christian, and he can't see beyond his Christian bias, so he's going to say always Keyes got the better of Obama. He schooled him, and Keyes is right. Now, you would only partially be right. Well, I am a Christian, and Keyes is getting the better of Obama in the debate. But it isn't simply because I'm a Christian that I think that, it's because I actually can see what's happening here and I am intellectually honest and Keyes is 100% right and Obama is totally wrong. And if there is anything that I could do throughout uh, the, the episode today, it would be to try to help you understand something that so many in our culture do not understand. We have a very dumb understanding about the separation of church and state. The vast majority of people think it's in the Constitution, and it is nowhere to be found. Um, and this is where we kind of go back to what Obama said, because he kind of alludes to it. The separation of church and state is not in the Constitution. What it is actually in is in a letter that Jefferson wrote to the Danbury Baptist, in which he calls for a wall of separation between church and state. Now, put your thinking cap on real quick, and you tell me. 
Do you think Jefferson was telling this group of Baptists that you will have no place in society or no place in government? Or was he saying actually that the government will not infringe upon your religious liberties? So think about that one. If it takes you too long, you've probably come up with the wrong answer because the answer is clear. What Jefferson is talking about, especially within the broader context of the Church of England and how it just absolutely, absolutely destroyed the church by trying to make it some federal institution that was merged with monarchy. What, he, what Jefferson is saying here is exactly what is said in the um, Establishment Clause of the First Amendment. He is saying that there will be no federal church or no federal mandate that we try to cram down on churches. Remember that, Biden administration. Needless to say, let's go to the First Amendment so that you can see this plainly. In the Establishment Clause, it says that the government shall not establish or prohibit the free exercise thereof, of any religion, that is. So what it's saying is that it won't establish a state church. It's not going to establish a federal church that everybody has to bow the knee to, and thank God for that. Um, but a lot of people say, well, it's not just saying it's not going to establish a church. It's, it says it's not going to prefer one religion over another. Well, that would be a stupid secondary argument, simply because our founding is clear that it did favor one religion over another. There is no book that is quoted more in our founding documents than the Bible, and it is undeniable that our society, that our culture, that our um, American government was predicated upon Christian and Jewish views found in Scripture. It's all throughout the Declaration of Independence and all throughout our Constitution. So it's an undeniable reality that our government did definitely rely upon religious thinking in order to establish what we have right now. And what Thomas Jefferson and others is trying to protect is the fact that that thinking should be allowed to take place without the government stopping it from happening. And, that, and that's where the second part about prohibition comes in, that you cannot prohibit the free exercise of religion. So this is where Keyes is 100% correct. According to the plain text of the Constitution, the federal government does not get to tell Tennessee that they cannot put Ten Commandments in their state house or in their courthouse. So it's clear, according to the Constitution, that what Obama is saying is actually deeply unconstitutional. Surprise, surprise. At the end of the day, I'm merely arguing that we rightly understand separation of church and state and understand that it does not mean freedom from religion, but the freedom of religion, to practice your religion. And if we're willing to acknowledge that, then we might also be willing to take one step further, recognizing that Christians influencing policy is an actual good thing for society because the further we move away from a set of values that we can loosely agree upon regardless of your faith background and we move to kind of this secularized individual atomized version of reality where each person does that which is right in their own eyes uh, the closer we get to that the more we fray as a society so we might want to kind of step back towards something of a moral system a moral framework that can truly hold our society together and i have an idea as to what that might be anyway let's go to the second part of the debate where keys and obama take on the subject of race oddly enough right uh, however keys here adds something to the debate that obama doesn't want to talk about so check it out mr obama tell us about a time in your life when you experienced racism and what you learned from it well i think there are, there are multiple uh, circumstances i mean i think that any child growing up has in this country who's an african-american at some point has been called uh, racial epithets. Uh, I think there have been frequent situations where I've been in settings in which uh, it was assumed that I was the help. Uh, I remember actually when I first got out of law school and was being recruited by a major law firm here in Chicago. 
uh, and had been invited to a fancy dinner. And as, as, as I'm walking by, wearing a, what I thought was a pretty nice suit anyway, uh, somebody turns to me and says, uh, can I have more tea? Uh, you know, I think every African American has some experiences like that, uh, but I think those, experiencing, uh, those experiences have uh, slowly and gradually diminished over time thanks to the enormous efforts of parents and grandparents and others who made sacrifices in the, in the society. And I am entirely optimistic uh, that my children will experience a, an America that is uh, less conscious of race and is less focused uh, on the sort of discriminatory, uh, discriminatory activity that's taken place in the past. Mr. Keyes, you've said that you and Mr. Obama are of the same race, but not from the same heritage. Do you feel you are more personally in touch with African Americans because, than he, because you are, you are a descendant of slaves? I simply observed a fact. I didn't make any conclusions from that fact. I wouldn't do so. Um, and, I, and I thought it was rather strange uh, in the last debate that we had that when I talked about the effect of my heritage on my outlook, for instance, in dealing with the issue of abortion, one of the reasons I'm so intensely interested is because there's a disproportionate impact of abortion on the black community that threatens to reduce the numbers of black people in a way that will be quite demographically drastic over the course of the 21st century. I did misspeak a little last time because I had said that more black babies are being aborted than are being born. In fact, uh, I think the ratio is 55% live births, 45% abortions, but you know, that's still pretty bad. Uh, and it leads to a situation over time that's going to be awful uh, for the black community. Uh, so I think that it has an effect on one's outlook because you look back to a heritage where things like the Declaration of Independence were critically important to making progress in the uh, battle against slavery and in the battle for civil rights. The thought that we would discard it, that we would, for the sake of, I don't know, sexual license and other things, be talking about the world as if the Declaration didn't apply to our babies in the womb, strikes me as a devastating loss because I know how important it was to the progress of justice in the course of our history. So that's simply a matter of how that heritage influences what I have focused on in life, what I consider to be terribly critically and important questions of justice, how I look at the present situation right. in terms of the plight of the black community. I do look at the larger picture sometimes because I think it's well and good that we concentrate on helping people get jobs and education and do the things that are needed to meet the challenges of the present time. But if something's going on that's going to overall you, lead to Keyes. genocide against the community in the long term, we'd better deal with Thank that you, too. Keyes. And look at Obama over there taking notes. Oh my God, he just handed me what looks to be my butt. Anyway, um, I love the conversation there between those two men. And I think it does kind of serve as a bit of an analogy for racial conversations and then the most important conversation about abortion, which we'll get to in a moment. But I can't help but wonder if the reason that individual asked Obama for tea is because maybe he kind of looks like a guy that would drink tea. I mean, he kind of does, right? He looks like a guy that would drink tea. Now, you say that about me, too, because this is not a color thing. It's like, that guy, that guy drinks tea. Uh, needless to say, um, I can tell you my experience with racism. I was wearing a blue shirt in Walmart one day, and somebody came and asked me where something was on a certain aisle, and I was deeply offended, and I said, how dare you judge me based upon the color of my skin? Um, I, 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 I mock at this simply because I have this sinking suspicion that most people's encounters with racism in America 
aren't what we think they are. We don't really have this conversation, so we don't know. But certainly, if you ask Jesse Smollett what his encounter with racism was, we'll get a very interesting story that sounds really bad, but isn't actually true. Rachel Dahl is all, and we could keep on going on and on and on. I have a sinking suspicion that the vast majority of people who claim that they have had an experience with racism, often this is what their experience looks like, something that is totally arbitrary and something that they don't even know if, if it actually took place, if that person just mistook them for somebody because they look like somebody or, or what not. Now, you may think that's naive, but the problem with your view, if you do, is that every time these people set down to actually tell us about time they've experienced being judged according to their race, it's always these stupid anecdotal stories. It's, it's nothing more than that. And, and more than that, if you do care about race, you will probably key in on the topic that Keyes just did, which is the issue of abortion. It's funny to me that the people who talk most about race are the ones who also get behind the murder of babies the quickest and do so without ever acknowledging the fact that the population in America would look wildly different if we weren't aborting black babies to the tune of hundreds of thousands and millions of babies. So let me give you some CDC statistics here just so that you know that I'm telling you the truth. So the leading consumer of abortions in America by far is black people. In 2011, the CDC released a report uh, reminding us that black women make up 14% of the population but acquire almost 40% of all abortions. So almost half of all abortions from a minority of uh, Americans are, are, are done by black women. And that means that 400, now listen to this, because this is so tragic, 474 black babies are aborted for every 1,000 that are born. So no, it's not necessarily more are being aborted than born, but it's pretty darn close. And what that means is since 1973, since the forming of Roe v. Wade, that means at least, and this is a conservative estimate, at least 20 million black babies have been murdered in the womb. So you think to yourself, if Obama really cares about black people, he might point a finger at the institution that is murdering more black people than are being murdered anywhere else in, in, in our world. You know, he might point the finger at that institution that was founded by Margaret Sanger, a genocidal racist maniac that believed that black people were inferior to white people. He might find some intellectual honesty if he were willing to do so, but of course, the Democratic Party isn't. How can we stand beside a party that will sit there and allow for that to take place and then make it one of their major party platforms to make sure that you can murder babies simply for the sake of convenience? And in the meantime, a lot of those babies that are dying are black. Can I just tell you that the number of black people that are hurt by cops are nowhere near compared to the number of black people who are murdered in Planned Parenthood clinics all across America? So if you actually care about racism in America, you care about equality, you might start thinking about equality in the womb. Let's go to the final clip about gay marriage. Mr. Obama, you've said that your religious faith, your religious faith dictates that marriage should be between a man and a woman. Would you elaborate on that? Well, I, I, what I believe is, is that marriage is between a man and a woman. But what I also believe is that we have an obligation to make sure that gays and lesbians have the rights of citizenship that afford them visitations to hospitals, that allow them to be 
to transfer property between partners to make certain that they're not discriminated on the job. I think that I bundle that. of and rights excuse me, excuse are absolutely me, but, critical. But as far as why, what in your religious faith calls you to be against gay marriage? Well, what I believe in my faith is that uh, a man and a woman, uh, when they get married, uh, are performing something before God, and it's not simply uh, the two uh, persons who are meeting. Uh, but that doesn't mean that that necessarily translates into a position on public policy or uh, with respect to civil unions. What it does mean is, is that we have a set of traditions in place that I think uh, need to be preserved. But I also think that we have to make sure that gays and lesbians have the same set of basic rights uh, that are in place. And I was glad to see, for example, that the president today apparently stated that he was in favor of civil unions. This may be a reversal of his position, but I think it's a healthy one. Uh, I think on this, President Bush and I disagree, uh, disagree apparently with Mr. Keyes on this, uh, because I think that that kind of basic uh, ethic of regard towards all people, uh, regardless of sexual orientation, is a you, valuable thing. Let me interrupt and ask you a very, a very quick follow-up question. Do you believe homosexuality is a choice? No. I don't. I, I, Do you think it's innate? I, I think that for the most part it is innate. I think that obviously it may uh, vary in certain circumstances, but I think that it is something uh, that is a part of their identity. Now, That but, being the case, Mr. But, Obama, that being the case, if something is not a choice, if something is innate, then why isn't it a civil right? And why isn't your support of well, civil that, unions I, I, I as opposed think, to marriage, think, does that amount to think, separate but equal? No, I think there are a whole host of things that uh, are civil rights. And then there are other things, such as traditional marriage, that I think uh, express a community's concern and regard uh, for a particular institution. So marriage is not a civil right as far as you're concerned? I don't think marriage is a civil right, but I think that, think being, able right? to, but, but I think that being able to transfer property is a civil right. You think I think marriage that not is a human being, right. I think not being able to, uh, not being discriminated against, is a civil right. I think making sure that we don't engage in the sort of gay bashing that I think uh, has unfortunately dominated this campaign, uh, not just here in Illinois but across the country, I think is unfortunate. And and I think that that kind of uh, mean-spirited attacks on homosexuals is something that. The people of Illinois generally have rejected. Mr. Keyes, on the Channel 7 debate last Thursday night, you, you said, and I'm quoting you, where procreation is in principle impossible, marriage is irrelevant. You went on to say it was irrelevant and not needed. What about marriage between people who are well beyond their childbearing age? Irrelevant, not needed? No, no, it's simply a misunderstanding. The word in principle means relating to the definition of, not relating to particular circumstances. So if an apple has a worm in it, the worm is not part of the definition of the apple. It doesn't change what the apple is in principle. Uh, so the fact... It retains its apple can I, can I, It retains... It re no, it retains... Uh, to, to act as if concepts are laughable means that you want to be irrational. Human no, beings I'm, I'm reason... You, you excuse said, me. You said let it, me finish. it was irrelevant Human and beings not reason by means of concepts and definition. We also make laws by means of definitions. And if you don't know how to operate with respect for those definitions, you can't make the law. An individual who is impotent or another who is infertile does not change the definition of marriage in principle. 
because between a man and a woman in principle, procreation is always possible. And it is that possibility which gave rise to the institution of marriage in the first place. As a to matter of rules, law, it's still me, as a matter of law possible and in principle. But when it is impossible, as between two males or two females, you're talking about something that's not just incidentally impossible, it's impossible in principle. Uh, and that means that if you say that that's a marriage, you are saying marriage can be understood in principle apart from procreation. You have changed its definition in such a way as, in fact, to destroy the necessity for the institution. Since the only reason it has existed in human societies and civilizations was to regulate from a social point of view the obligations and responsibilities attendant upon procreation. Uh, so when you start playing games in this way, you are actually acting as if the institution has no basis independent of your own arbitrary whim. And if you don't mind my saying so, that's what we just heard. Uh, we heard something that wasn't based on reasoning, it wasn't based on logic, it was based on vague Sir, feelings and respect. It was respect. based on your and, quote No, no, I don't mean last that. Thursday night. I'm not talking about me. <laughs> I am oh, talking I about what uh, Senator Obama just went through Got in it. terms of explaining his position. My position is based upon an effort, as conscientiously as I can, to reason through the challenge that we face when dealing with the most important fundamental institution of our social life and civilization. Now here Keyes is just absolutely fantastic. I love what he says about things that are in principle and then he talks about how if you don't care about definitions you are treating things as though they are laughable so you're not even taking things seriously if you don't actually care about in principle definitions which means of and relating to the thing. So in principle marriage is procreative. Now, the fact that there is such a thing as gay people does not deny or redefine the existence of what marriage actually is. Marriage is many things. It is not just procreation, sure, but it is also that. And it makes marriage exponentially more intrinsically valuable when it is about that because that is a good for society that does not come from homosexual unions. So everything Key say, says here is so important. Essentially, he tells this, this man that his circumstantial arguments do not undermine the in-principle arguments about what marriage actually is. And it's such a profound argument, and it's so, it so flies in the face of what, everything we've heard from Obama because it's such a stark contrast from the arguments that we typically hear being made that are so pathetic, quite frankly, from most of our politicians. It's... It's a fair question to ask, why in the world did Keyes go to the wayside, get almost totally forgotten in America while Barack Obama became the rising star of the Democratic Party and one of the most popular presidents of all time? There's this idea in the ether that the Enlightenment is the best thing that ever happened to America and it ushered in a new era of reason-based thinking in the world. And to that, all I can say to you is, man, look around. We developed AI and it didn't take us long, like basically overnight, to figure out how to take pictures of complete strangers and turn it into porn. We took a reason-based movement, yes, in the Enlightenment, but then we turned it into an excuse to bash Christianity, not to think clearly about it. Now everywhere on X, progressive Christians pick any verse that has the word love in it and radically misrepresent it and irrationally promote this one virtue to the exclusion of all others. Essentially, I'm saying this, that we don't think in a rational way as a society. If we can learn anything from Alan in the whole debate, it's this. Reason is not sufficient for our postmodern society. The hunger for more like Pound Town and WAP far exceeds the desire for truth, beauty, and goodness in society anymore. 
Keyes was clearly the more passionate and intelligent debater throughout all of the debate. This is not purely a knock on Obama. Keyes stands head and shoulders above almost every political figure I've ever seen. And yet Keyes has disappeared into obscurity and few even know who he, who he is, while Obama has been, uh, according to the Presidential Greatness Project, the seventh best president in the U.S., not too far behind Joe freaking Biden at 14, of course, trailing behind Ronald Reagan at 16. That very poll points to the kind of thing I'm talking about as a culture. We have totally clowned ourselves by throwing logic out the window. The big mistake that Alan Keyes mistakes in this whole debate is he thinks that his superior logic would be enough to trump Obama. And it wasn't. Not in our culture. Not today. In our society today, we have to recognize that while reason alone can bring you to natural law, it will not convict the heart very often, uh, especially the heart of the person who fights against all rational thought, which is a lot of people in society today. We need to remember what Aquinas knew long ago, that an unjust law is any human law that breaks eternal law. Natural law is good for debates, but for life, something more potent is necessary. We need something to cure us from the incalculable sickness of woke postmodernism that's frying our brain. Something to heal the moral therapeutic deism of our age. We need divine law, birth from a divine encounter with a real God. If we turn God into nothing less than a rational argument, he just becomes an ideal and we've done nothing less than the Gnostics. God is a person, not an idea. Until our world grapples with that truth, we will constantly be searching for the truth and never finding it. We'll be Sisyphus pushing that rock up the hill and never getting to the top. If that doesn't sound like hell on earth, there's always eternal hell after that, which won't be too great, by the way. This is where the conservative political movement stops and the arguments for Christians must take over. That may sound esoteric to some of you, especially if you're not a Christian. I realize that, but all of you must put your cynicism to the test. Honestly search for and seek the Jesus of Scripture. That's my recommendation. I believe it's a cure for what we're seeing with the irrationality of society. And if you would say, as an atheist, well, Christian values are irrational, so how can you even equate those two things? Well, you just made an irrational argument. Uh, that's how. Because what I'm asking you to do is faithfully consider what Christianity not only offers society, but what it offers to you on a personal basis. So, if you're not willing to do that, please point to another standard that has been as influential in the West as Christianity. When you realize Christianity stands above all the rest, it'll be time to put your feels away and cling to the rock of solid truth of God's Word. Not a cherry-picked progressive version, but a full and powerful understanding of Jesus. Not as a mere teacher, but the God who can save you from your unreasonable existence and save us all. That's all the time we have for today. Thanks so much for watching. Don't forget to like, share, and subscribe, and go with God.